Hey, hey, what's up? This is Champagne Sharks. This is your host, T, Trevor. You can find me on Twitter at Ricky Rawls, R-I-C-K-Y-R-A-W-L-S. And we have with us Michael Brooks, host of The Michael Brooks Show, co-host of Majority Report with Sam Cedar. Say hello to the people. Hey, good to be with the Champagne Sharks. So... It's been an exciting time to be you. A more exciting time than usual. It's always an exciting time to be you. For yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, what I've heard. Come on, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's been an extra exciting time to be you. Um, and it kind of ties into a lot of stuff that's been going on today. After a little bit of laying low, like talking about the alt-right was really popular for a while. And then I... My co-host and I, Champagne Sharks, were talking about how, you know, it doesn't seem weird that the alt-right's kind of almost like an afterthought these days. People are always talking about Trump, but except for an odd Nazi profile here or there, um, you don't really hear that much about them. And little did we know they were going to make a big uh, resurgence. And one of the things they made news with the most recently was um, something to do with you. So... Yeah, I thought it'd be a good time to let you take over and explain what's uh, been going on in your neck of the woods. Yeah, so basically what happened was and it was uh, we made fun of um, Mike Thernovich uh, by doing things like I just did there, which is <laughs> to an impression of him. And, you know, I, I assume a lot of people probably who listen to this, you know, real kind of engaged in everything, they probably know who Mike Thernovich is. But if you don't, He's kind of like a leading internet Twitter troll. He's a part of the kind of alt-light, I guess Angela Nagel would call it. Um, these are the people on the kind of alt-right uh, spectrum that will not overtly identify as white supremacists. They play a lot of different kind of word games. and But also, in addition to sort of that kind of not willingness to go as far as like a Richard Spencer, they're more... They're kind of creatures of just like the craven media. Like you get the sense that with a lot of these people that like, you know, if there was another way to any type of attention whatsoever, they'd take it. It's a certain very kind of just totally craven personality. Yeah, very opportunistic, I would totally say. Purely opportunistic and a lot of emotional damage. And, you know, you go back and look at Mike Cernovich's history kind of going back with this, you know, weird like sort of pickup artistry stuff and kind of pseudo self-help you know a lot of the things that float in the recesses of the desperate internet which helped kind of lead to the one of the sort of trend lines to the rise of the alt-right he used to do he did some appearances on alex jones uh and alex jones whatever else you say about him and you know i say a lot is a broadcaster uh mike thernovich is not and they were funny, and uh, we got some YouTube clips making fun of the guy. He clearly saw them, and maybe for some other reasons, although I really do assume that, you know, I mean, we we have some, you know, we have some visibility, and Sam's obviously an MSNBC contributor, and we do a strong job, you know, particularly on Majority Report, which is a daily program, trying to definitely targeting, um, you know, a lot of frontline Amer you know, Republican politicians like Roy Moore is an example. So there might have been some, you know, other reason in addition to his fifis being hurt. But I think that was a big part of it. Uh, Wait, 
uh, Fifi's being hurt by what specifically? Was there well, like a we sketch? did a video where we played a clip of basically Mike Cernovich's one of his appearances. We did a couple, but one that started with he did an appearance on Alex Jones, and it, it sounds really small and petty because it is. I mean, this wasn't like a substantive thing, but essentially, like you know, when you're doing a a TV hit or a podcast or really anything, but it's funnier if it's visual. And the host, like if like when I go, I think of going on Young Turks or Al Jazeera or something. There's times where the host is obviously about to throw to video, so let's sort of say like, you know, here is so and so earlier today, and I'm going to want to get your thoughts on this. And Alex Jones is doing one of his long, you know, it's like here's Rahm Emanuel, and he's saying that we don't want, you know, we want we want Mexicans in our cities raping people, you know, whatever. And he's like throwing to the clip, weird Mike, which is what we call him totally doesn't understand what's happening and he just goes yeah like exactly that's political correctness that's why trump won and jones is sitting there like he looks like he's about to have an aneurysm like he is so pissed that this guy's interrupted the throw and we think we played the real version of it which was hysterical and then vic berger did his makeover our friend vic berger who incidentally was also a target of an online harassment campaign by mike cernovich too he did an amazing breakdown of it. So we just played this clip and, you know, I mean, you know, Sam and I, this is like, this is like our like dessert. We probably did 10 minutes of, you know, he was probably Alex and I was probably Mike and just mocking the guy. So I have no doubt that he saw some of those clips and it, and, and that's sort of the irony. Like these guys are all obsessed. I mean, just as a brief divergence, maybe we'll get to this more later, but they're all obsessed with like social hierarchy and domination and positioning and, and the gorilla on, mindset. Yeah. The gorilla mindset. And like on some levels, I mean, obviously we're, I think we, we, you know, we're working to create a world that isn't purely defined by those things. But on the other hand, we're not doing this kind of like, you know, sort of like, lame liberal take offense thing we do a lot and i certainly do a lot in my show of just straight up like are you fucking kidding me like mike cernovich really and so i have no doubt that that type of humor in response to him is going to be what he felt like that's going to be way more triggering than you know oh he's a bad guy you know he likes that sort of thing and i think that that's something that we can all learn from how to sort of deal with these people at least on a media level uh so we did that and then a couple weeks later, I actually started noticing, I, I got, I don't remember, and you know, this primarily Sam was targeted, though it was aimed at the whole show. I got a few tweets and I noticed that the whole sort of Twitter was blowing up with this. Uh, actually, no, that's the wrong word. It was not blowing up. It was a tiny handful of accounts with this screenshotted uh, tweet from I think 2009 or 2010 uh, of Sam essentially uh, sarcastically uh, mocking people uh, who were ba basically at the time there was a thing about Roman Polanski coming back into the country uh, even though he had uh, apparently I think fled the country before being sentenced or standing tribal trial for a rape of a minor he fled the country and there was a whole discourse actually in Hollywood and it was so bizarre to look back into this after this story happened because I wasn't really up on it of a lot of people really kind of straight-facedly saying like, you know, the guy made Chinatown. 
Almost like yeah. the Dave Chappelle. There was, there was a petition too around the time that um, this thing happened, where like a hundred people in Hollywood signed this petition around the time that Sam made this tweet. So, and they yeah. weren't just like gri- grips and you know catering table. Like a lot of them were actual real oh, Hollywood like, like people. Top people, and it and it was just really like you know I think of the Chappelle sketch where. You know, it's like he's on like theoretical juries for black celebrities and his thing with like Michael Jackson at the end. It's like he just can't. He's like, you know, the evidence is looking pretty bad on child molestation. He's just like, he made Thriller. This was essentially a national non-joke. He made Thriller moment, you know, for a guy who was, uh, you know, uh, uh, at least alleged. And I think, in fact, convicted of, you know, just really a beyond grotesque crime. I think pled guilty. Anyway, Sam was arguing with people, uh, critiquing that, and he said sarcastically in a tweet, which everybody knows now, that, you know, well, if if my daughter's ever to be raped, I hope it's by a a talented older gentleman with a great sense of mise-en-scene, right? So it's completely ripped from its context. It's, in fact, a anti-rape satire, which amazingly at the time, this is like seven or eight years ago, like it actually was, you know, uh, you know, Sam, like, playing the role of the outsider with a bunch of like you know entertainment people saying like yeah actually uh you know rape and child abuse is completely unacceptable uh even if you happen to be a very talented filmmaker so he threw out this tweet he screenshotted it and all you know and and sam initially kind of out of laziness deleted it because he didn't know what was going on because it's because the kind of dirty secret of this is was that cernovich had paid somebody to go through Sam's old tweets. He found this, he screen capped it out of context and was using it as he's done many times before to smear uh, somebody and to try to destroy our show and get Sam fired from MSNBC. And the thing that was really interesting though, and I I can't speak, look, I know that Vic Berger, when, when Cernovich went after him, he did, he got death threats. He got all sorts of bizarre, disturbing things. And I think this is another thing that we need to bring in the conversation, which is the difference on like a, a Twitter or another program platform of like anybody being on there saying any kind of awful shit is one thing. But Cernovich is a guy who's definitely, you know, inciting harassment campaigns is quite another. Anyways, there was actually very little response. But, uh, you know, some of our advertisers reacted MSNBC eventually, of course, you know, after a piece came out in the rap, initially fired Sam. And then it was like, we just had this, it was really heartening, not only just for us, because I mean, first we came out of the gate and this is the advantage of the kind of media we do both at majority and on my show, which is that, I mean, a hundred percent of my show and well over 90% of majority is from people that are members and patrons. So, even if you know this guy, this this like thug fascist, you know scum is smearing Sam and trying to destroy his show. Well, guess what? We're gonna be on every day, and you know he's gonna learn the meaning of victim of his own success. Because now, whatever little restraints were like, we're gonna completely go after him, and that was you know the one response. And then there was just this massive outpouring of sanity where it was like the world all got together across almost every sort of ideological bounds and was actually proved that it could still read and understand satire. And that, of course, MSNBC had made a ludicrous decision in letting Sam go. Uh, And that just went and then, you know, 
we got all of our, uh, you know, our advertisers are back and MSNBC rehired Sam. And now we have a bunch of new uh, listeners. We got a very successful GoFundMe, which we're going to use to, among other things, do a documentary about Weird Mike. And so, oh, so wow. thanks, Mike Thernovich. <laughs> Did you yeah. see his uh, recent thing with Chuck Schumer and the? Uh, yeah, it was he a, tried another hoax. Well, this one was different. I mean, because this was actually because with Sam, what he was doing is totally distorting and lying about what Sam was doing. This is a fake document that uh, Charles Johnson, who's another one of these alt right types, and and uh, Cernovich were using. Apparently, it was a it was a document showing Schumer to be a sexual harasser, uh, and it was completely fake. It was just a completely fake document that they ran with. I think, I think you know the problem with the the thing, and I don't have any like sympathy with him whatsoever. Obviously, he's a total just complete bottom feeder. But we need to understand all of these bottom feeders in a larger context, which is that as long as we have like an American plutocracy, there's always going to be a market for slime merchants whether they're an Andrew Breitbart or James O'Keefe or a Cernovich who play certain roles so what kind of shot his stock up a couple of weeks ago I mean it's crazy how things move so fast is that someone did hand him a John Conyers info and it's real apparently uh, so my guess is, is that he had through connections to Trump and you know the Trump administration, and when he certainly when he started the slime thing on uh, Sam, there was very very there was almost no actual like support in social media. So he did not have this kind of outpour brigade, but he did have a retweet from you know Sebastian Gorka and Donald Trump Jr. So he has those connections. So I mean, clearly, I would assume that how he got the Conyers info was probably some staffer you know leaked it to him. Uh, some Republican staffer, I would assume. So, you know, he's got, you know, he seems to have his uses, but at the same time, um, you know, he's an idiot and uh, not discerning and can be burned and obviously operates with, you know, zero sort of, you know, integrity. And these guys, the opportunists that there are, it's amazing how so many of them used to actually um, kind of hate, they used to kind of hate um, a lot of the people that they're supposedly championing now, like whether it's, um, like in 2014, uh, Mike Cernovich uh, was tweeting about, I had never heard of quote unquote gaming media until recently. Jesus Christ, guys, put down the fucking video games and stop reading retarded sites <laughs> and then um yeah he was also doing lots of uh, bullying of people and all types of stuff and then uh milo's another one of these opportunists alt light like and he was tweeting stuff in 2013 about few things are more embarrassing than grown men getting overexcited about video games are online gamers as overweight awkward and lazy as we think they are. Then he looks for an article and then he adds, writer trying to be nice, but answer is yes. This is also in 2013. Unlike video game console launches, this is Milo, where the only ones present are pungent beta male bullock scratchers and 12 year olds. So Cernovich and uh, Milo, before Gamergate, were, you know, on this whole kind of alpha thing and make fun of 
gamers and nerds and that kind of projection and self-hate thing going on. And then once Gamergate happened, they just pivoted and just jumped on, hey, we're on the side of gamers. And it's amazing that it works. Like, you talk about, like, Sam's old tweet from 2009. And these were tweets that were only, like, less than a year old. And the Gamergate community was just like, eh, whatever. All right, you're a game champion now. It's interesting how both sides are so different. You know, like how MSNBC is willing to kind of on on site like disavow Sam Cedar when it was when he wasn't even really making fun of uh rape and whatever. No, I mean completely the opposite. He was totally satirizing rape. I mean, I think I think I think MSNBC their initial response was a different lane which was just corporate panic. Exactly. Uh, you know, and that's one thing. Uh and then, you know, they they responded because it goes well beyond Sam. Because if they're going to have a new, if they're literally going to be a news organization, their ability to discern something like, you know, basic research of irony of a tweet, and also not responding to this like, you know, grotesque media troll uh, is a basic test of their sort of function. Which of course, you know, they reverse themselves, so they 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 you know, good for them. I think you know, I think what I remember Gamergate, and I and I completely own that. You know, I was just starting to kind of host majority and become, you know, have a platform. And I, you know, I totally had like some kind of variance of like either like, you know, like, well, I prefer to be talking about Saudi Arabia, you know, like some of that sort of, you know, thing. And then I also, you know, it just seemed kind of like weird and sad and filled with just like, just, again just like depressing just sort of like you know how could even how could people even care and it was doxing and it was utterly bizarre but what other people recognized at the time was that this was going to be the site of like the new culture war and in the, and that the right i mean in order to have currency Right-wing politics is always some melding of an incredibly small part of the population of which these policies actually work for. And by definition, that's always a dramatic, you know, tiny minority, but a tiny minority with vastly disproportionate influence because they're hyper wealthy. So the actual policy platform is going to work for, you know, let's just go to the simple, let's go back to Occupy, the 1%. And then the way they're going to get a, a, a cultural hegemony or a cultural movement, the way they're going to organize shock troops is by, I mean, if I'm putting it like, you know, charitably, like I guess even going down to like the kind of softer, like, you know, actual center right-ish parties that you might see like an Angela Merkel's party, it's going to, it's still always going to be some appeal to uh, tradition and continuity on a cultural level let alone in the United States and in many parts of the right where it really is just sort of like pure indulgence of, you know, all of the usual things that we know about xenophobia, misogyny, racism, magical thinking, conspiracy theories. And what Gamergate did and what guys like Milo and Mike finally saw was just like, if I'm trying to build a base as some type of 21st century social media reactionary, What's the path? Like, who's my constituency? Well, it's, you know, resentful, 
you know, young white guys. And I don't, and, and I get, you know, kind of tired. Like I, I, there was also plenty of resentful young white guys that like got into socialism, you know? I mean, that's not like the only distinguishing characteristic, but the reality is, is that if you're looking for who's, who, what other reason would a young, I mean, there might be like a tiny fraction of like total real weirdos and shut-ins, and I'm sorry, but it's true, who are like reading the National Review or something. But if you're going to try to reach any type of quasi-broader pop culture market, well, look at the ones who are think that it's the end of the world that, you know, like, I don't know, like a girl designed a game, and now all of a sudden maybe I won't be able to like rape a girl in Grand Theft Auto anymore. That's the end of the world. And, you know, or or or, or looking at some type of like, you know, gamification of dating website when really what you probably really need is to actually see like a therapist and deal with social anxiety or just get on like a good fitness regimen or something. That resentment and paranoia was ripe to not only be exploited by people who could tap into their grievances like Milo and Cernovich, but actually super ripe for the broader alt-right argument because then all of a sudden it could be like, well, I can't get laid. Why can't I get laid? Because, you know, I'm a pussy, but also feminism. And then what happens? Well, you know, professors and Muslims and black people made us pussies and now we need to be hard. And, you know, and then all of a sudden you got yourself a nice little modern fascism, which has always been driven by mediocrity, misplaced resentments, and sexual frustration. Yeah, the whole um, Hitler was a failed artist thing, and yeah. I mean, cliched as it is. You know what's interesting with the whole Milo and Cernovich thing is, I think even they didn't really understand what uh, the gaming community was about, or like the sheer... Uh, fervor that exists in the gaming community. I had only found out about this only a couple of months before Gamergate. So I had a little more recognition of that Gamergate was going to gain steam because, but it was relatively new for me too, because there was this lady who went on some kind of talk show and she had talked about how gaming, she was like some therapist or, psychiatrist or something she was talking about how gaming uh too much gaming can lead to like social awkwardness and kind of low-level sociopathic tendencies or something and i'm not co-signing or going against what she's saying i have no idea i didn't see the clip i didn't read it i just want to say that before people start flooding me to defend gaming like i'm not boosting her argument i yeah, neither am I. I just <laughs> save your tweets. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah, it's a, whether she's right or not is irrelevant to uh, yeah. the, the point that I'm going to make. But uh, she did this thing, and then on Twitter, everyone went crazy on this lady. And I don't even like follow gamers. And it was, I kept seeing it. I'm like, that's so interesting. So I started looking into it. I went to her Amazon page, and her book was at one star. They flooded <laughs> it with like hundreds. And then eventually, like, thousands of one-star reviews, all from the same day. And I was like, wow, I didn't realize gaming was um, that uh, rabid a community. Like, I always thought that there was a lot of minor grievance politics that people were underestimating. But I thought it was going to be, like, MRAs and pickup artists and white nationalists and... 
I didn't realize what a boiling pot of anger and rage the gaming community was. I'm like, this this is way beyond what I'm seeing and a lot of that red pill side of the things. And I think similarly, like Milo and and, uh, and Cernovich were dismissive of it too. But being great opportunistic vultures that they are, I'm impressed at how fast the pivot was. Like, as soon as they saw that Gamergate happen... And they got a taste of what I had seen like a month or two before in that lady's page. Like uh, they wasted no time repositioning themselves. Like they became the champions of video games, and they didn't even play any video games. Uh, that guy Rouge, he made a video game website, and he never played video games. It was all about alpha male stuff, and he made a his own like anti PC video game site, and it, and it ended up going out a couple months later. But it was just amazing that he just. Someone with no interest in something, as soon as it hit, just like made a site. But the site was basically a Trojan horse for just like, you know, the same uh, hateful, xenophobic, nationalistic, misogynistic uh, shit, but just with um, a, a thin veneer of gaming, you know? Well, I mean, I, I think there's two other things to put into the, or th- maybe three other things to put into the mix with it too, which is like part of the reason that the just, craven cynicism of like of guys like milo and cernovich were rewarded is that these are not you know they're this these are not discerning communities you know these are not people who have been like they're 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 very credulous i mean you know who who else is online and partially honestly like i think you keep in mind like make some distinctions here like maybe you know maybe somebody's like 15 or something and they got caught up in this bullshit now they're like you know a normal nice college student right but i would not think of like people who think that like the fate of the world hinges on like world of warcraft as like people who are really gonna be like well wait a second you know three months ago you had suggested that i should get my dick sucked and lift weights (laughs) now you presume to lead me you know i mean i'm just not thinking that this is going to be the most you know savvy group of people imaginable and then the other thing you know that was going on at the time and i think like we still have to mind and mine on the left and now it's a little bit different because the left is kind of all of these fissures and distinctions like now people understand like no i'm a socialist i'm not a liberal or you know whatever and that wasn't that barely existed in 13 14 so you had and i think this doesn't justify it but just following kind of some of angela nagel's thinking and i think she does basically really nail this stuff part of the reason that like these gaming people were so crazy is that that was like, you know, their last space that had not been sort of like encumbered by all of these other like trends and obviously big picture, like, you know, deal with it. Like, of course, you know, gaming needs to be less misogynist and more diverse, at least like have that option, which is in fact the point. And at the same time, there was no doubt that the alt-right was able to leverage a ton out of just like dumb left Twitter, you know, outrage culture in 2014. And they were able to do those cringe videos and they were able to like, you know, again, it's like, it's totally cynical and these people are always going to be totally cynical. Uh, But there was a contingent of people who identified on the left who played into their trap 
and and just just on a branding level made like leftist politics look like a game of just sort of like constant manner mining and and upset and you know sort of controls of verbiage and you know you still see that contingent today and i think that you know that type of politics is so radically incapable of either defeating like the real serious threats of either you know mass inequality and the need for structural uh, solutions and class politics or as a matter of fact also things like structural racism so they were able to kind of you know they had a credulous market that felt under siege for both reasons that were true but they were diagnosing wrong and also because of their own prejudices and then you had you know a left where it would be like you know i could imagine some you know just some sort of socially awkward maladjusted kid who's really into gaming and then he goes on you know like i don't know like whatever a trendy website that they would identify as left in 2014 and the lesson would be like you know like you suck watch girls that's problematic language and then they go and then you know milo and mike it's like oh well no, actually, like sitting on your ass all day and doing absolutely nothing with your life and playing these fucking games all the time and, you know, building all sorts of sexual, racial resentments is actually a path of heroism. Like you're Nero in the Matrix. I mean, it's pretty obvious which side is going to be more appealing. Yeah. And, and you know something else, too, that I think uh, can go on the foot, what's it called? That you can lay at the feet of, um, some of the liberals is I think a big problem that happens with uh, liberal centrist media is they sometimes just the words not gang up, but sometimes they just create like a narrative that is not allowed to be broken. And what I mean by that is there were that whole ethics in game journalism stuff. The actual incident that, uh, set it off it was kind of a shady incident with some thing with a journalist and a lot of the journalists hooking each other up or positively positively reviewing their friends games or people who had like the right politics or were kind of tumblr type and i think what could have really helped because i think sometimes people just need that pressure valve like they need something to just at least entertain what their the reasonable aspects of what they're saying because if you let that if you let people relieve a little bit of pressure like that it takes away a lot of the power of the opportunists to then say hey we're the only ones even willing to take you seriously and i think that kind of added to the whole credulousness of how they reacted to milo and cernovich because even though these guys were blatantly against them a month before I mean, there was a, like, I knew some people who were regular gamers who were like, oh, I hate how this Gamergate thing's being covered. You know, there's a lot of legitimate problems with how we view gaming media. But this guy wasn't into all the crazy stuff or whatever. Like doxing women and death threats. And I mean, it got got really ugly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it, it got really bad. But it, it became like those were the only people I think that, the more regular people felt uh, that was the only camp for them. You know, uh, like some of the gaming sites when it first started had some like measured both sides, um, 
arguments about, yeah, there's a lot of racist, sexist, and crazy people co-opting this movement. We have to stop them. But we also have to admit that there's a lot of stupid nepotism and uh, ridiculous politics going on in gaming media that doesn't reflect um, that doesn't reflect what gamers actually want. And those people and those mainstream sites got like lambasted and accused of all this all this stuff. Yeah, I, I think that that's a really there's there's this. I think of a, a couple of different things with this. I was talking um, recently on my show about how there's a whole like explanation does not equal justification and context is not exculpatory. And I'm connecting out what you're saying that like, and this is another pathology of that sort of centrist liberal, whatever is like, and, and I understand some of like taking it out of gaming. Like I understand I'm, I'm as sick of as anybody of like, and I actually think it's a useless category to endlessly obsess about like white working class people that vote for Trump. Cause I don't even like, I think there's working class. I'm not even interested in the racial categories of it. But that being said, there is a group of people that have like, they are simply unable and unwilling to distinguish between like, let's, try to understand and figure out a behavior which we totally don't condone let's try to pick apart um what's valid in a overall invalid view and also third like it's funny i don't i i think sort of persuasion and quote-unquote rational argument in some ways are very overrated in politics but i do think that like our presentation and how we come off to people like i i regret Certainly at times in my, in my, you know, when I've had platforms and I've sort of like, I've never regretted destroying an argument or a person who's bad or an asshole, but I regret, you know, sort of like, I'm sure with Gamergate, my only kind of basic message was that you guys are losers. And I think that like, no, if there was a way to scrape off 10, 15% of it, uh, by acknowledging something and then really getting to like what was really serious, which was that in fact, they were waging online harassment campaigns. They were doxing people, right? Like that, when that happened, then obviously it took on just a much more serious thing than people's, you know, hobbies. But I think that generally, and if I could make a larger point about it, I think that that's also really uh, reflective of uh, David Grishkum and I, who is another guy that I work with, we're talking about how like the left is too Christian, like the liberal sort of left is so is Christian in the sense that like they're always looking for something to feel guilty and repent and then like hold other heretics responsible for. So if we're going to build, and this is another thing that people misunderstand. So if we're going to build like a broad based leftist politics, it is going to by definition include like everybody and it's going to need to include everybody. And I, and actually like this is where we need to, for me, like, not policy wise, but some of Obama's real like sweeping attitudes, like some of that, like it's the factory worker in Indiana and the, you know, bisexual bar owner in San Francisco. Like, yeah, that's right. That there is going to need to be that night, like really broad, like multicultural, but affirmative and kind of like positive cult multicultural linkage, which I think needs to also be grounded in really radical economic politics. Like that's a synthesis, but 
my point being that like in order to get there and again this is another fucking thing that like yes there might be some people who have my politics but i have to say very few who say like oh, okay well let's just never talk about gender or race because it's all just class i actually don't think many of them actually really exist but there's plenty of people on like the liberal and centrist side who it's like well i would and again this is not like we will never accommodate or countenance or play to racism or transphobia both because it's morally wrong and also totally strategically not in our interest because any type of center left or left politics in America is going to win on a broad multicultural coalition such as stupid. But at the same time, like I'm more interested in bringing people into the fold. And you know, if that means like, Oh, somebody used the wrong verbiage. Well, how do I get them there versus looking for a way to be like, Oh, see, you don't get it. And I get it. And here I'm going to say uh yeah really you know really woke on twitter or some shit yeah is this really toxic shit yeah uh, and we um, saw that in gamergate yeah to tie it into like uh hillary and trump uh that same thing you just described about you know that smug kind of oh really uh sorry (laughs) that's not how things work in the real world which is our world you know and that kind of dismissiveness is i think hillary in the debates was just like the mainstream media, the Gawker media and all that stuff during um, Gamergate, where it's like, oh, you guys are just too stupid to even entertain this. Uh, Duh, of course this is nothing. And I saw the same thing in the Hillary Trump debates. I've said this before, where when the debates were happening, I I just kept saying, why is everyone saying Hillary won? Like, you're looking at it as yourself and not as someone else you know you have to look at it as someone else and what i saw was trump didn't have any solutions really he didn't have anything but he was at least willing to point out like different problems like he was saying uh all this free trade is just screwing uh worker domestic workers uh which is true of course yeah a lot of this immigration that's like unregulated without protections for uh, workers and unions and stuff, that's also hurting workers. And then Hillary was just like, oh, God, you know, there you go again, Donald. And then the liberals were like, just saying, oh, there goes that xenophobia again, or there goes that uh, racism again, or there goes whatever. And it's like, yeah, he might be a racist or a xenophobe or whatever, but you should at least address the legitimate aspects of that free trade work. Like don't gas, don't gaslight people by telling them, yeah, you're imagining that, um, any of this is happening. You know, the problem is you, why are you stupid? And I feel like the game gate was the same way as what happened with, uh, Trump. If you would just to at least entertain what they were saying, and you know, just, talk about it i think you could diffuse a lot of the resentment that built up and similar to how like a lot of these people who had these concerns it's like okay either our choices to have it totally dismissed or sign on sign on with the fascist demagogue shoot i'll go with the fascist demagogue plus now i'm mad at all those other people anyway for treating me like i'm making it up so now i'm actually even angrier than before you know and i think it's a big problem that liberals tend to have is this kind of dismissive like we don't even want to talk to you because 
we don't want your germs on us type of air yeah, to get off. I think that's and it's and again, it's like another one of these paradoxes because there's a ton of like most base Republican voters are like, and I don't mean this as people. Like some of them could be a lot of them actually could be very like fun, delightful people, but like a lot of them are voting and politically wise, they're assholes and they're voting like they are intentionally like there is a huge contingent of Trump voters that's like, oh, well, I don't care, man, just as long as it upsets those goddamn liberals like that. (laughs) That exists. And that's incredibly stupid and toxic. And that's on them. But the thing with liberals is that they've turned. I mean, there's also so many obvious class dimensions to it because it's like, you know, I, I remember going I, I God knows. I think I, I did this honestly because a friend of mine asked me to go and, and I, I should be careful about how much information I reveal. Yeah. But I kind of wanted to support somebody who I'm friends with. So I went and also I was, you know, I was like everybody else after the election. It was like, fuck, man. Wow. Like, okay, this is actually happening. We got to figure this out. And I went to this like local Brooklyn, like, you know, we're just going to have a meeting and like what we can do as a community and blah, blah. And I think to be fair to most people in the room, the truth of the matter was, is it really should have just been like, if if people were emotionally honest enough, it should have just been like, we should all just like have drinks and people should like hug each other. But it was framed as like, you know, this is how we're going to figure out how to whatever. And it was, a you know, it was, as you would imagine, it was 80 there were a couple of good ideas or whatever but you know 90 percent of it was just a total disaster and the thing that i remember most was this woman who i mean you know just bluntly like her sense of her understanding of politics and how the world worked relative to those things was it was a pretty big gulf you know it was like it was like somebody like coming on a basketball court with like the like you know the arrogance of lebron and like the skills of like someone who was cut at junior college and like it just totally misaligned. And I remember at one point she was like, well, we need to figure out like, cause Barack and Hillary were just so honest about to these people, like their jobs aren't coming back. So the question is like, do we need to lie to them? Is that unethical? And, and it was just so extraordinarily condescending and also wrong because, you know, Obama and Clinton did in fact distort what they would do for jobs in those demographics and also completely bought into like this magical idea that like mass unemployment, inequality, deindustrialization is just like it's a religious process. It's what the market demands and there's nothing we can do about it even though all of these things are of course policy choices and they could be adjusted to create much more broad prosperity. We just need to like attack monopolies and concentrated wealth. And I think that, you know, uh, and and just one other brief tangent, I also notice that I feel like sometimes in some of the actual, like also the stuff specific with race and gender, because I feel like sometimes some of the people who are the most intense about performativity and performing wokeness are also like so clearly have no actual experience of like diversity in their own lives. And so they're just sort of like having like an imaginary conversation with like an author they like on NPR. And it has like nothing to do with anything that they've dealt with in their own terms, either structurally or even personally. And it's really quite glaring. I, I had some bigger points to make, which hopefully I'll get back to, but I don't want to keep taking up time on this, but I'll, you know, you know, it's funny with the whole, uh, 
not having experience within their own lives. It makes you think of all those uh, black women are God, thank you black people tweets post-Alabama. Right, and I'm like, lot, yeah. I'm sure you don't know really any black people outside of maybe your nanny or something. Like, you know, but go ahead. Like, like knock yourself out. But uh, I want to talk about also like uh, the aftermath of what happened with uh, you guys and Cernovich. Also, the whole thing with um, Schumer because I'm seeing this purging happening on Twitter today with uh, the alt-right. And I was wondering, do you think this has any type of relation as far as the recent shooting of themselves in the foot that they've done? Or do you think it's unrelated? Do you think that they've hurt themselves, helped themselves, remained the same by this fiasco? Because it is kind of two major... Um, self-owns that uh they've done but things are so backwards with them i don't really understand how they work sometimes for all i know this might actually in their warped minds gone down as wind somehow that's hard to, i think that the thing with us was definitely not a win just because like they're so obsessed with like a certain type of like hierarchy and positioning and like i i, I saw like he, he tried to do a post spin when Sam was rehired, he's like, thank them at NBC. Like, I guess, you know, like, we won't get fired for satirical tweets anymore. And it was like, well, right, because he has any number of, like, genuinely obscene tweets that actually... And by the way, this is another thing I always say as a leftist. I I actually never call for anybody to be platformed. I'm just going to make it my job to let everybody know exactly who you are, which is a different thing. Yeah. And people should know exactly who a scumbag like Cernovich is. So I think that's my kind of read on that. And also the Schumer thing, I mean, I don't know, man. Like, that's the type of thing that, like, I think Schumer's talking to lawyers. Yeah, like, I, think like, I think he's going like, to sue them. Yeah, I mean, that's just pretty, like, I think that's the other thing is that some of these guys, and, like, you know, obviously, like, an Alex Jones is a bit savvier, but you just look at Alex Jones, who, like, you know, he sat on air for years and just kind of mouthed off, and now it's like he's really got attention on him. Like, when he said that thing about Chobani yogurt and like refugees, I forget, you know, it's like they're setting up some type of refugee conspiracy or whatever. And they essentially were like, we're going to sue you. And he had to immediately issue a retraction. So I, I think that like, you know, it's like, all right, Mike, you know, sure. You want to keep playing this shit. Yeah. It's a good Real example. things might happen. Yeah. And this isn't all just like Twitter nonsense. Yeah. It's a good example of being careful what you wish for. Cause these yeah. guys wanted nothing else but exposure, but there's a flip side to exposure, you know? Yeah, you exactly. Have, yeah, when you just, like, uh, in the red pill sphere, just, like, talking to a bunch of other guys in the basement, it's a whole different thing. Yeah, exactly. So I think that that's part of it. I don't know what the purge... I mean, look, for a really long time, the reality is, is that platforms like Twitter have known that guys like Mike Cernovich, you know, I think he has a couple hundred thousand followers. He has a lot of followers. They generate a lot of analytics and again this is another thing this is where i am i just always got to go on my point like this is capitalism right like the 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 bottom line of like when people write these things saying like it, it's actually i'll give you two paradoxes every time like the liberal centers like you know twitter and these platforms don't care about bullying and they don't take harassment seriously they're right and maybe part of it is because there's a certain you know, tech bro culture, whatever, that could be part of it. But the bottom line is, is it's a money thing. And whoever is driving traffic 
and making, I mean, what saved Twitter as a company? The leading soft alt-right figure in the country, Donald Trump. Like, that's why Twitter, arguably Twitter still exists, is because he made it relevant again as a platform. So, and then on the flip side, I watched a hilarious video of Baked Alaska, who's, you know, just even by these standards, I mean, just a total idiot. Yeah. Whining in a parking lot at an In-N-Out burger in LA that he got thrown off of Twitter and he's accidentally making the argument that Twitter's essentially a commons and a public utility and it's unfair. And it's like, oh, well, this is really interesting because while I don't generally call for deplatforming people, I would make an exception in people like Cernovich's case because he's weaponized it to harass people, which is a different thing. Yeah, In my view, you could say whatever you want, but if you're aiming it at people like he did at Vic. You got to lose the platform. But that being said, it's just so funny to me because it's like this idiot who is like uh, happy because he has his own failed media career to be a propagandist for, you know, you know, white supremacy, anti-Semitism, and of course, at the end of the day, just oligarchy, which is what this all goes down to. He gets kicked off of Twitter and he's in the parking lot accidentally making the argument that like, well, these companies have reached such a level of actual like social and economic import that they can't just be private platforms anymore. But as long as we're playing by those rules, then like, fuck you. It's a private company. You can do whatever they want. Sorry, buddy. So no one wants to look at just the capitalist component of this, which is very funny to me because these alt-right idiots whine and if they want an insurance of their protections in a public realm, then they ought to start looking at some pretty social democratic policies on the internet. And liberal centrists, it's like, yeah, these culture things matter, but ultimately if Twitter wasn't, like the reason Twitter is starting to purge these people, I have no doubt, is because they have an analytics that shows that this could be a funding and money problem it's yeah, not so an act of yeah, conscience something financial has yes. to be um, behind this whereas before it was in the financial interest to turn a blind eye and for some reason or other now it's uh not maybe because so many of them went over to that other social site called gab maybe because I, I do notice right. that now even when i get trolled like a year ago when i would get trolled my mentions would be like on fire for like a whole day now some alt writer will retweet me and for a couple of hours, it'll uh, be crazy, and that's about it. Even if it goes on for a day, it's more like some stragglers, like a very vocal minority. Like they used to be able to destroy your mentions for like a week. I remember one time. I remember Gamer Game, man. It happened to me plenty of times. Yeah, I remember one time uh, I got into it with that guy Ricky Vaughn, and a whole week my mentions were just going uh, insane, and you know I just let them go off, and I was like kind of kind of goading them and. They just would not stop. I I don't really see that anymore like uh, I used to. And yeah, it's it's, um, so yeah, maybe you're right about the whole analytics thing. But you were talking about uh, something that you wanted to get to. You said earlier. Oh, no, I was just, the only thing is that I think that, and it related to this too, is that the other big danger and the other big failure, like obviously, Look, if the only choice in politics we have is between like boardroom liberalism versus, by which I basically mean like we don't do anything about the bigger, you know, the inequalities, but we at least um, are going to fight against things like racism on some level and there will be more broad representation. If that's the choice, if it's like that or white nationalist capitalism, 
I'm voting, you know, the same way I voted for Hillary over Trump. But I think it's not only that I really deeply want a radical social politics that works for, you know, far more people. It's also that I think I'm not necessarily a doomsdayer. I think there's a lot of positive trends too, but I think the that what the alt-right people intuit, which is really dangerous, is I think on some level for all of their stupidity and all of this kind of nonsense, what they understand on some level is that if I want to maintain or even have a hope, because actually a lot of these things have already been sort of stripped away, even for middle-class people like job security and their wages are lower and they can't start families and all these things that we just sort of used to take you know, for granted in some type of Keynesian system, or at least you know, white people did, bluntly. They're like, I think they intuitively understand that like, if we're gonna keep having like, this level of massive inequality and misallocation of resources in order to even get a tiny piece of it and still keep up some privilege, you better start thinking about an apartheid system because that's the only way it's going to happen is like, well, maybe I can get a little bit of this formalized in a patronage network for me in terms of some kind of racial hierarchy, which obviously already does happen, but I mean, they want to formalize it. And I feel like when liberals response is essentially like, well, Obviously, we're not going to do anything about the fact, you know, all of these big economic macro trends that have made most people's lives worse financially and in terms of their living standards. But we are going to, you know, it's sort of like Hillary Clinton, you know, going to Ohio, like, you know, hey, we don't really have a jobs plan. Don't say transphobic stuff. And here's Pharrell. I mean, that's scary because I, I do think ultimately liberals are in danger of losing that fight. So I do think that ultimately it's both desirable morally and necessarily strategically that you have some type of really broad-based social message and policy because I I, I think, you know, and, and you can't, and as much as it might be morally satisfying to tell certain people that they can't have a certain type of privilege anymore, and they can't as it comes to things that are expressed through actual racism, sexism, and xenophobia. But if that starts to become equated with like, well, your wages are just gonna go down or your jobs are gonna go, and that's just how it is. And incidentally, like that sort of economic ruthlessness is equated with social progress. I think that's both deeply unnecessary and very dangerous to the future of our politics. I have a question that I don't even have my own answer to. I, this is one of those ones where it's not like a uh, just a rhetorical one that I have thoughts on, and I just want to see if you agree with me. Like I literally don't know the answer to this one, but this is something that well, I'm I want here to help. Right? Okay, thank you. Because yeah, that's that's what I need. I need all the help I can get. Me too, man. I. That's why I talk to you so much. <laughs> I, I wonder sometimes: is the answer for people who are more radical or more into reforming or tearing down the system or whatever is the answer to keep trying to get coalitions with left-leaning centrists or to just destroy the credibility of left-leaning centrism altogether and try to flip a lot of um the flippable people in that camp into um, 
more radical or more progressive stances. Because the reason I ask is, I feel like they're just not built for this battle that's ahead. And a perfect example is how badly a lot of what was done with uh, you and Sam was. And in the old days, you know, I think it would have been like that lady who uh, lost her job um, because of James O'Keefe and them. Remember that lady that worked with yeah. Valerie? Yeah, uh, no, it was uh, Shirley Sherrod. Shirley Sherrod, right? Like, it was totally unfair. It was total uh, bullshit. I think they eventually did offered a job back but it took a little, a little longer than it should have and oh it, i mean the whole thing shouldn't have happened it was obscene yeah that yeah woman. that was disgusting and they even said to her they wanted her out before beck was on air that night and it was a totally doctored video i mean they they made that video she said literally the opposite and yes. they, i mean it was disgusting what happened to her pathetic yeah um for what i understand i think she rejected taking the job back yeah i think she did too and i mean rightfully so it yeah disgusting. yeah it was it was uh really bad and i feel like what happened with you guys shows like an improvement in the discourse i feel yeah. like people were much more vocal because i also feel people like the people out there didn't rally as strongly as, as they could have either and it, and it kind of makes you think maybe we're just better off just trying to change people like but i don't i don't know like what do you think is the path for the future just i think that that's a good example though i think that's an improvement i have to say like even the most dreary like garbage democratic administration i could imagine right now if they were gonna fire a african american woman and honestly it should be like anybody but just like adding to like the totality of this contrast here right and the actual case that happens if they were going to fire her from the Department of Agriculture based off of any tape, let alone, and one that I would frankly assume would be doctored, but maybe even a non-doctored one that was spread by somebody like Andrew Breitbart, I think that everybody, you know, unless the tape literally said something like, you know, like I enjoy killing children or something and it wasn't doctored, but like anything short of that, I mean, there's no way that we would allow that to stand from like the actual left to the moderates. I think here's the thing. I think it's really important to, there, there's different types and of liberals and centrists, and this is why another thing, like it's it's hard with this terminology, right? Because I-, yeah, I Because there's a lot of liberals who just are well-meaning and they actually believe in this stuff. Those are the ones that tend to sooner or later end up, on the more radical side anyway. I think that's true. And I also think it's true that like, look, even the most on like it's better for us to be fighting liberals in power on our ultimate, hopefully path to power than conservatives. There's no question. I mean, when Trump is in power, like if you think of like Obama, which, you know, I'm just infinitely to the left of Obama and I'm just, you know any number of policy legacies of obama i have a profound problem with housing wall street you know list goes on and on and on but you have a liberal or a centrist in office who especially by like 2014 is starting to move in some like modestly positive directions on certain things has you know aca is totally insufficient we need single payer but move the dial a little bit in the right direction on healthcare. And what happens in an environment like that is 
people actually like there's this mythology that like the worst things are people like in general, I'm not saying it's a hundred percent one way or another, but I think in general and it's a mix, but people start to think about and demand more in a context that's really bad, but not completely like your head is in the pavement and the guns in your mouth. So you have like, you know, What's happening in the last couple of years of Obama is it's like Black Lives Matter, Bernie Sanders, like people are starting to think like, hey, man, maybe even if I like Obama and trust his intentions, like this is totally insufficient. The job market is stagnant. Inequality is skyrocketing and you guys just don't have the goods with Trump in office. I mean. We're back to, besides all of these fights we have to have, and some of them are serious and on the merits, like I'll fight with liberals and centrists who I genuinely think are misdiagnosing the problem or have the wrong strategic or policy path forward. I don't care about relitigating the primary. I don't care. And there's definitely, frankly, like, you know, centrists and liberals who I think are very smart and I have some genuine disagreements with and I'm happy to collaborate with, right? And that's great. But with Trump, I mean, on the other hand, like for all of these like dumb squabbles on Twitter, there's another way in which all of us across the political map are fighting everything from the guy fucking weaponizing like, you know, health and human services statements so that, you know, it's easier to bully transgender and gay kids. I mean, to this tax plan, which is a Republican wet dream of oligarchy and wealth redistribution, which even like... You know, again, this is where we have to be real, I think, as leftists. Like, was, again, Obama totally insufficient and in some ways actively negative and in some ways not, yeah, just not nearly sufficient. Even the most timid bullshit Democrat could not support this tax package because it would not even allow for the type of corporate-friendly, modest reforms that they want in terms of spending. So I think we are, you're right. We need to hold them accountable. We need to have those fights where they're relevant. We also need to not obsess with dunking on them all the time because they're not the main enemy. And we need to realize that as we go towards our path to power, like they are sometimes our enemies, but they're, you know, they're frenemies. And I mean, and the right are our enemies. These are bad fucking people. And they're not like, I have to remind myself of that and plenty like, you know, I know we're not going to get into it, but it's like, you know, I, 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 I was talking about Ta-Nehisi Coates with my coworkers this morning and I, you know, had some, I have my critique uh, and, and I, and then we had to play like a clip of Ivanka Trump and I was like, well, there's a great reminder that I like Ta-Nehisi Coates in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. Yeah. True. True. I mean, one reason I've been holding up on uh, talking too much about Ta-Nehisi Coates is I've got that book. Um, we were eight years in power yeah. and I, I didn't read it yet, but I figured I want to actually try to see if I can glean a comprehensive worldview from this book. So then I can, uh, be more informed about critiquing him. Cause one problem I keep finding is each time you think that he said something and you speak out about it, somebody produces something else he said. Where he seems to say the opposite, and he kind of has like a slippery worldview to the point I'm not really um, sure anymore. I kind of want to read the whole thing and see what exactly he's about because I, I honestly don't know. I mean, there's things he's written that I've liked, 
there's things he's written that I haven't liked. And then there's things that's, that seem to say two different things in two different articles. And um, I do think it is weird how much... Um, how much energy he uh, creates. Like Twitter was really uh, crazy yesterday with uh, talking about him. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I, I'll pivot this away from him because I know like I totally, I think that's, I think actually what you just said is all like, I think that's exactly what we need to do a lot more of, but also frankly for Cornell West, I see a million people. It's like, you didn't read his column or you got hung up on the fact that he's a grouchy old man. who yeah. threw a bunch of bars, but he also wrote a critique. You got to deal with it. And I think people conversely like, People didn't even read the actual article about Ta-Nehisi Coates, much, no, le- much less no, his body of work. Read, they, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, 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 literally, exactly. And that's what I'm saying. Like, that's what's kind of what, where I've come down on that is like, even before we, we don't need to get to the rest of it, I'll just say to people like, look, my position on Cornell West, and there's things I strongly disagree with Cornell West on, including like who to vote for after Bernie lost. But like the man has put in his work. He's a very serious figure. You can't just dismiss him as a crank. Yeah, like, exactly. This is somebody that you seriously need to contend with. I mean, he's a very, very, very powerful intellect. But I think the thing that I've started to notice with Tanahisi, and I will just echo one way that is somewhat specific to him and maybe more broader that I'm concerned about, is that I think you're right with Tanahisi, and I think that he, in terms of like you present something and then some and somebody has a contradictory thing but it starts to and i i like i can not emphasize how much more i like tanahisi than sam harris but it starts to remind me of sam harris in two ways because sam harris is also like a guy who you know you can never pin down he always has an escape hatch but it's like you can generally get themes from people that I think are fair overall statements. Like it's a fair overall statement to say that Sam Harris like reduces incredibly complex things to a inordinate focus on religion and Islam. That is just like, if you can't even see that that's like a fair argument, then you're just not being credible. And I think it's credible to say that Ta-Nehisi Coates presents like a very specific fatalistic race narrative that is actually sort of like not hospitable to either like a kind of like more globalized critique like Cornell West has or certain kinds of politics. But that being said, the part of it that that really though sticks in me, it's almost even, especially in Coates's case, independent of him, because I do of course have a lot more respect for him than someone like Harris, is that why are people, like, like I've just shown you my defense of Cornell West and I like Cornell West, but like, if you have a criticism of Cornell West, awesome. Let me hear it. And if I think it's legitimate, I'll absorb it into what I think or I'll dispute it. He's not a hero to me. And the way people vamp for these people, whether it be Ta-Nehisi Coates or Harris or whoever else, I just think it's weird. I, I think hero worship games in social media over like writers and pundits and academics, like... I'm, you know, obviously I'm totally flattered. I've, you know, people pay me, you know, to think and help, you know, make sense of the world and discern it for them. And it's means a ton. And I love flattery as much as anybody else, but I don't want like 
a fan base or a support system of people who take any criticism of me as somehow like a violation of a religious edict. I think it's fucking weird. Yeah, you know, an interesting thing with that is I feel like it goes both ways. People will hate you with that passion too. Like people right. have reduced everything to kind of like a celebrity um, hero worship. And it's kind of weird how even people who you kind of trust to kind of pretend to be above the fray to a degree, like someone like Walter Conkright or, or Cronkite or whatever, or, or Mike Wallace, of course they had their biases or whatever, but these to be at least is kind of pretense, like, you know, we're not here cheerleading or high-fiving when someone dunks on someone. Like, like they were clearly, for whatever stances they were for, and people accused them of being biased. But there was this, like, air of professionalism. But as we were this Ta-Nehisi Coach Westing, different editors and journalists being like, yeah, take that, Coach. And then someone else goes like, hey, Cornell West, you suck. It was like, <laughs> it, it, it is like, what's that? Like, Jamil, Jamil Smith, right, uh, tweeted yesterday, you know, and Jamil Smith is, uh, he's been in charge of MTV News. He was the editor at New Republic. Now he's at uh, at uh, LA Times, you know. And oh, great. He's not an MTV News anymore. That's a place I might work with. So let me just say now that he's not there, that guy sucks. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He, he, he I hope t- people understand the self-parody there. Oh, oh no, forget, no, no, forget it. They're going to wait like eight years and then bring it to light. Right, <laughs> like, right, 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 right. Yeah. Uh, he says, Jameel Smith tw- tweeted, This Cornell West attack on Ta-Nehisi Coates is personal vendetta masked as intellectual debate and once again exposes his Obama obsession. If West's true interest was quote-unquote fight back, which isn't a word, which is like, oh, shut up. Like, oh. I mean... Oh. I mean, it's not being pedantic, like, yeah, uh, fight back, which isn't a word. Then a broadside like this seems like a waste of time. Then he immediately responds with another tweet saying, I was one of the editors on this 2015 Michael Eric Dyson essay on Cornell West. It continues to age well. And then he links to the 10,000 word screed by Michael Eric Dyson, just basically personally attacking Cornell West to death. And I'm like... This is pathetic. I mean, I actually, again, like I, I can make these distinctions. There's things I like about Michael Eric Dyson, but that piece on Cornell West is a piece of like, cross of like, you know, you need to like murder the mentor, like samurai shit. Like you made me, now I got to destroy you to take my place. Exactly. Also totally like, look, I mean, you know, there was... It was, oh, he didn't conform to the Obama thing. And, and, and Michael Eric Dyson was tasked with destroying him from that same tradition that he's supposed to represent like West. And then thirdly, it was just all, I mean, the thing that I will say also in West's defense and far, and I think actually specifically to Coates' credit, he hasn't responded to West in this way, but all of these people, Jameel Smith, Mike, especially let's just focus on Jameel Smith. Cornel West writes these critiques of neoliberalism and then the response to him is like quintessential neoliberalism. It's all like, it's like you're all compromised by capital and acquiescence to the system. And the response is you're a hater. Yeah. It is the most, it's like, just jealous because he makes more money. Right. It's the the most biggest unintentional self parody I've ever seen in my life. But the funny thing with this one was that he just finishes 
lacing into Cornell West for doing personal vendetta, masses intellectual debate, and having an Obama obsession, then he immediately takes credit in the next tweet for a 2015 attack on Cornell West. That is exactly what he described Cornell was doing, but even more so. It was even more of a personal vendetta, masses political criticism, and it was even more obsessed with Obama, except from a positive stance instead of a, a negative one. Like it was just total Obama standing. Like if yeah, yeah. Like if if he was a if West is an Obama quote unquote hater, then they were um, Obama dick riders, you know. Exactly, and also yeah. not only Obama dick riders, like also on like look, I, I'll. There's first of all, I'll just make two distinctions. There's language Obama that Wes has used about Obama that I would never use just as a white person. And that's just number one. Yeah. And then number two, I get like if somebody said, "Look, like you catch more flies with honey," and maybe there is some element that West is pissed off about his personal interactions with Obama. Okay, but again, like oh, specifically with that, like some of the lines that West has delivered about Obama is so obviously not about Obama as a person. It's about Obama holding a certain position in empire. And it requires like a level of non-literalism and intellectual dexterity that like a lot of people either like genuinely don't have and that's depressing. And a lot of people don't have the ability to grasp grasp systemically anymore too. Everything is interpersonal now. Well, right, and that's the thing. That I, I mean, that's the thing with Cornell West that just amazes me is that it's like, at the end of the day, the guy is just presenting a systemic critique, and there is no. I mean, the best responses to Cornell West have been like some version that I've ever seen have been some version of like, you know, maybe you're discounting the specific difficulties of being the first African American president or you're not grounded in some of the kind of like legislative hardships like somebody Obama faced. You can make some very narrow technical arguments, but big picture, there is not a single person who has ever answered West's central claim about what the Obama presidency was and also in West's philosophical project, which is that white supremacy isn't just about individual white people it's not just a moral attitude it's a like a system that arose out of sort of like cultural hegemony imperialism and capitalism to privilege you know a very specific system of which the primary victims are people of color globally and incidentally someone of color who has the proper training and ideological conformity can run that system and that's just like it's a level of complexity that, again, it just seems like most people are just committed to not dealing with ever. And it's depressing and it's and really irritating, actually. Yeah. I mean, the last thing I'll say is even though I don't really fully understand enough about Ta-Nehisi Coates' body of work to properly evaluate uh, Cornell West's critique of him, I did think his take on Obama was way, way easier to research. And I wish more people kind of engaged him on the merits of that. You know, it's it's, it's all right there. And a lot of people, like you said, just went um, the hater route. But, well, the hater accusation route of accusing him of being a hater. But I'm going to let you get the last word on any 
topic that you want to bring up or anything you want to promote, any upcoming appearances, episodes, guests that you think it would be of particular interest to the listeners, the floor is yours. Well, first of all, man, just always thank you. I mean, I, I love Champagne Sharks. Uh, I'm a patron. Uh, I love having you on my show. I love having beers with you and just, you know, figuring it all out. So it's always a pleasure. Uh, yeah, man. I mean, you you can follow me on Twitter at underscore Michael Brooks. Uh, I do have a bunch of shows coming up uh, in January, uh, which, you know, you'll just, if you follow me, you can find those out. Uh, and then, but yeah, I mean, first and foremost, check out Michael Brooks show. You can check it out on iTunes uh, and on YouTube. It's also a video show. You can watch the public version of it. If you become a patron, you'll get a ton of extra content, including post games, which are fun, and then these illicit history series. Yeah, uh, the Patreon link's going to be into, in the show notes, too, for yeah. people who are interested. I'll put the link in there. Yeah, much appreciated. So just check it out, the Patreon link, and you get a sense of the show. And then I think the last thing I'll say for people listening to this, by the time this drops, I will have done an interview uh with adolph reed who really is you know for me he's just one of the most important thinkers in america and uh we're talking about an anti-essentialist left politics and his history in marxism and also black power and also i'll get his take on uh coats and west and really i mean i hope that the interview will serve as a doorway to more people reading adolph reed yeah, I'm really a big fan of Adolf Reed, so I'm looking forward to that one. So yeah, I will uh, be listening to that. Uh, yeah, so thanks for coming out, Mike, and we'll catch up soon. Thanks.